Welcome to a jam-packed Down the Drive podcast. Mike Schneid and Scotty Whitehouse, we appreciate you all tuning in. You know, usually Scotty and I, we commit to about 30, 40 minutes for these podcasts, but I can't promise that we won't go over that time. I can't promise that we won't talk all night. There's a lot to discuss as this Saturday, December 7th, shapes up to be an absolutely historic day for Cincinnati Athletics. We have a football championship to win, a hated rival to beat, and for some insane reason that I know Scott is excited to talk about, these are both happening at the same time. It's going to be a wild, crazy afternoon, and just in this, before we jump in, in the spirit of positive vibes and good karma, I want to acknowledge the 10-year anniversary of Pike to Bins uh, as of Thursday, December 5th. 2009, 10 years ago on Thursday, was an incredible day, uh, probably the second best day of my life, only second only to my wedding day. Uh, 10 years later, I still don't have feeling in my frostbitten feet from that day, from being in the upper deck. And, you know, maybe let's hope that Saturday is a little less stressful. As I mean, basically that game was a, uh, a championship game. So is this Saturday. So what did you say, Scotty? Maybe a little bit less stressful this Saturday? This upcoming Saturday, a little less stressful, or last Saturday? No, let's hope that this Saturday is a little less stressful oh, than sure. 10 years ago. Oh, sure. Why Why would it not? I mean, we just have a championship game we're going for for a New Year's Six game, and then also, you know, a game against our rival or absolute biggest rival in college basketball. But, yes, it is definitely less stressful. <laughs> no, my new basketball slogan is never easy. So, yeah, no, it, it won't be stressful at all because, yeah, it's it's never easy with Cincinnati, Cincinnati Athletics. But I was really impressed with the way that we played at Memphis. I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, the loss, the disappointing loss last Friday. But, you know, it might not have been as disappointing as we thought based on the college football playoff rankings. And we have all we have everything in front of us still on Saturday. So, First, what were your thoughts about about how the, the way that they played on Friday? So I thought the way they played on Friday <laughs> came down to four real four big plays and four plays that went against us. All right, so let's talk about those four plays. Number one, the first play of the game, kickoff <laughs> return. I mean, come on. I mean, that's just gimmicky. That <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what are you gonna do? You know, it's first play of the game, kickoff. They're just going hooping, hollering. It just is what it is. All right, so you got that. It is what it is. So then the UC does pretty good, kind of sticking around and hanging around. And and then all of a sudden, as we're ending the second half, there's a play, and I don't remember what the wide receiver was for Memphis, but he catches the ball, and two of our <laughs> defenders bounce off of him. And he gets like a... I don't know, 75 yard pass. I know it wasn't that much, but it was a long pass. All right. And then they wound up scoring and going into halftime even up more. All right. So that's, that's play number two. The play number three is the flea flicker play, which we had unbelievable defense on. All right. And then play number four was an absolute terrible. And I'm going to say this was the one play that we could have controlled was there was a third and, and, and I don't remember the third and goal or whatever where we stopped them. We we're getting to get the ball in the fourth quarter. And there was a late penalty, you know, QB, um, late hit, whatever the play was. All right. Regardless of how the actual stats go, there's four plays that were against us. And still at the very end, we had a chance to win this game. So I thought 
I was so impressed with how this team responded to what you and I have been saying for multiple weeks of it's time to wake up. I think they woke up. I think there's sometimes, and I hate to use the word luck, sometimes luck's not on our side. And that game, Memphis and Cincinnati went head-to-head. I think Cincinnati played a better game. Memphis just had a little bit more luck on their side, and it wound up prevailing for them in the end. But I... I was I was impressed with the way Cincinnati played. What were your thoughts? Yeah, but sometimes luck is a thing. I mean, look, let's be honest. We got lucky against ECU, against mm-hmm. USF. Just like Memphis got lucky against Tulsa. Guy missed the yep. 29 North field goal. Luck is part of the game, and that's how Cincinnati got the 10 wins this year. Yeah, I was really impressed. I was happy with the performance. Um, obviously very upset and disappointed, but I look at three things. So I, I obnoxiously uh, wrote about – not what the keys to the game were, but why Cincinnati was going to win the game last week. And the article was right. I I definitely got it right. They mm-hmm. just didn't execute in three phases. Uh, and that's why they lost that game. It was protecting the ball, penalties, and special teams. And you already mentioned it with the special teams. You just can't start the game with allowing a 97-yard kick return. I Honestly, I didn't know much about their return team. I, I guess Clay Brooks, the, the cornerback, who was really all over the field on defense, Sounded like he was a well-known thing. You just can't let that happen. Um, right. And they didn't kick it to him the rest of the game. So, yeah, yeah I mean, you, you can't go down 7 nothing before either offense gets on the field. And then protecting the ball. You know, here's the thing. T- three turnovers for Ben Bryant, but everyone wanted this guy to play, and, and including us at the end. I mean, look, Ritter, Ritter's arm was clearly falling off. He clearly wasn't healthy. So I, I supported the decision to put in Bryant – Right, when they announced it an hour before the game, because, hell, if he was going to be healthy and move the ball, then let's go. And he did. He, You want a quarterback that's going to make plays and move the ball, and that's what he did. He made his first career start. And sometimes you have to live with these types of mistakes, with the two interceptions and the one fumble. This loss, though, is in no way, shape, or form on him. I mean, he had the three turnovers, but they had a chance. They were down three in the fourth quarter. They opted to... Against the field goal, they have to go for it. I actually disagreed with that. I thought they should have kicked the field goal and tied the game. Whatever, I totally understand and respect the decision to go for it. Obviously, the play call, that's a whole nother topic. Um, mm-hmm. But then later on, they got the ball. They Again, they got another stop. Um, and again, later down three, they got a stop on third and ten. And I think this might have been the play that you were referring to. They got a stop on third down. And Majai Sanders just commits this insane unsportsmanlike penalty after the play. So they got to stop on third down. They were getting the ball back down three with a chance to win and just another penalty. We can't keep living with this. Somehow they got to 10 and one with the most, being the most penalized team in the country. Uh, They commit 10 penalties a game. And sometimes it's fine. You can overcome holding. You can overcome false starts. You can't overcome an unsportsmanlike penalty on third down when there's five minutes to go and you're down by three on the road. You just, you can't. And, I, yeah, I look at those three things, as, and those three things are all very fixable. You can prevent a kick return from happening. Maybe you can prevent stupid penalties from happening. You can obviously limit the turnovers. So I'm pretty optimistic going into Saturday that they can clean up a lot of these mistakes. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. You know, they, they – I am on the other side. I think uh, my whole concept is um, – if you're a professional football team, not a professional football team, but if you're a college football team and you can't get one yard in college football, 
then you don't deserve to have an offense. I go for that every single time. Um, so I was all for the going for it. Um, and I, again, I don't think there's a lot of controversy. I don't think that play decided the outcome of the game. I lean more towards the unsportsmanlike conduct. That play at the end, yes. that was only a three-point game. We were getting ready to get the ball to tie it again. And our offense was finally moving. We were finally doing well. And it's, it's, I'm not blaming, you know, I'm, I'm not blaming the defense on that unsportsmanlike. It was, it was wound up being against, against Sanders. And I'm not, and I'm not blaming him, but that was more significant than the fourth and one run, um, to me, because we were, we were going to score. We were moving the pocket. We were, ah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated because we had so many opportunities to win. Yeah, we did. And I, I feel good about Saturday. I, I do feel good about the chances. One one of my big takeaways was how the defense played. And it's what they've done all year and how they've been successful is that bend, don't break mentality. Yep. They gave up 432 yards. It actually felt like they gave up a lot more. And there yes. were big chunks of plays, a lot of, a lot of big plays by Memphis, but they were able to contain those plays and they were able to limit them. The 432 yards, it sounds bad on paper, or when you say it out loud, it's actually the third fewest yards Memphis has had in 12 games. They had won five straight wow. games coming into Friday night, and they went over 500 yards in three of them, and one of them was 498. So they get 500 yards a game. So we held them to 432, which is pretty impressive. The defense is, is never going to be an issue. And to me, I feel like Memphis laid it all on the line. They had to win this game. They had to get to the title. I feel like this showed their cards a little bit. And I think Cincinnati still has some tricks up their sleeve, especially because we now know that Ritter is going to play on Saturday. I think there's going to be some new wrinkles offensively. And I think defensively, Marcus Freeman and Luke Fickle are going to have a good game plan to go contain these guys like Gibson and Gainwell and contain that offense and contain these big plays. Yeah. I mean, if you think about from what you had said, where Memphis really showed their cards – this was probably, and I think this upcoming game is more, is, is obviously bigger than, than last week. But last week's game was the biggest, if not top one, two, three biggest games in Memphis football history. Oh no, it was the biggest. I mean, they, never I mean, won, they never won right. 11 games in a season. So that was right. The okay. So that. this is, so you think about this. So Cincinnati's coming in. You're playing at Memphis, who's playing the biggest game of their program they throw everything out there and again we didn't play we played better i think we could play even better and we're still hanging around and now we're coming in we didn't really have much to lose and that's what i i kind of i kind of went into this game going yes i want to win the only thing that was like kind of up in the you know uh oh this is is up for grabs is the cotton bowl beauty of it is is that it's still up for grabs I, I love you see this upcoming week, especially with Ritter coming back. Now, let me be the first to say, I am, I, I, I'm not a Ritter believer. I want to be. He hasn't shown me anything yet. I hope that, I hope and I'm praying for Ritter to prove me wrong that it is his arm and it's not his play. But let's just pretend that Ritter is even 50% better than what he's been. We're going to win this game on Saturday. Just from the fact that, 
it meant this through everything they had at us in the kitchen sink and the flea flicker above the kitchen sink. And they barely won. I think what's going to happen this Saturday. I mean, I'm, I'm really liking our chances. I, I, I'm so shockingly, I'm the most optimistic about this game than I am. I'm more optimistic about this game than South Florida, than Temple, than any other game we've had in the last few weeks. I don't know why. I just, I'm all, I'm all on board. I'm back well, on board. Well, I can tell you why. It's because going into those games, you didn't know what to expect. You didn't know is South Florida, is East Carolina, are they going to throw like the kitchen sink at us? Or is this going to be some kind of fluky, weird game? You now know what Memphis can do and you know what they're True. capable of. And you got their best game last week. Yes. So now you know what it takes. And you said you're not a believer in Ritter. It's hard to argue against that. Totally understand and respect that viewpoint. But I'm a believer in Luke Fickle. And I don't of think course. Luke Fickle would – Ben. I thought Ben Bryan played very well last week. I do not think Fickle would go back to Ritter if he didn't truly believe that he gave us the best chance to win on Saturday. So whether you believe in Ritter or not, I'm going with the mentality that Fickle, I, I believe in Fickle. I believe in the decision to go with Ritter. I think he has the team's best interest in mind. 100%. I think that, well, I mean, when it comes down to it, it, it you know, they ask, who's your starting quarterback? He said Ritter's our starting quarterback. So obviously he's he's more comfortable with Ritter. He's ready to go. Um I mean, I, 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 I'm all in. I mean, and then the fickle comments this week about him not leaving and him staying. I mean, this is, it's a great time to be a Bearcat football fan. It's a Bearcat, it's a great time to be a Bearcat fan in general. It's always a great time to be a Bearcat and, fan, but yeah, right now it court. is. And speaking of quarterbacks, Evan Prater, our top recruit, is Mr. Ohio. So, <laughs> that's a huge, a huge gift for the 2020 recruiting class, but, Back to Raider, I feel bad. I don't remember. Somebody tweeted something on Friday that I thought was extremely intelligent, and it slipped my mind. And I feel bad that I don't remember who tweeted it. I know Chad Brendel retweeted it. Basically, some guy said that, you know, the playoff committee takes into consideration injuries. And regardless of how Ritter has played the, over the last month or so, Bearcats have won 20, did win 20 or 23 games with him in the lineup. So, Somebody suggested that Ben Bryan playing was tactical, that Fickle didn't want to show all of his cards because he still had the championship game to come, and now you have an excuse for losing that second game that you, if Cincinnati wins on Saturday, you can really make an argument that, oh, well, they only lost because the quarterback that's won 20 of 23 games didn't play. They had a freshman backup making his first career start. What if he had played? You can... I know this is all hypothetical, but you could validly make that argument. And clearly it's an argument, thanks to Mike Oresco, who's been out in the media, uh, speaking on every platform he can, representing the American Athletic Conference. The playoff committee clearly respected that result because of the way that the rankings came out. I mean, what, what was your reaction? I don't know if you saw it live or when you saw it after the fact. You have Boise 19, Cincinnati 20, and App State is 21. I mean, what does that all mean to you? Oh, I think that they basically said, hey, I'm sorry, Boise. I'm sorry, App State. But you're not – I've always believed, and no matter what everybody says and, and all the power fives, oh, the AAC, whatever. When the AAC as a conference plays better as a, as a whole, they are – it is 5A or it's 5B. If they are right outside. They are – 
they are so much better than the Mountain West. They're so much better than than any other conference out there other than the Power Five. Okay, so they are they are the one tier below. Okay, and so the committee came out and basically said, yes, if you are from the AAC and you are going to compete and win big games, we are going to reward you, and that's what I respect. If they came out, and I think the committee also thought, and there was a lot of Twitter about this, and I loved, I think, obviously, Down the Drive tweeted about this, and it's so true. If they were to come out and talk about Boise State being ahead of Cincinnati or Memphis, mainly Cincinnati, and they were going to, they were going to, um, diminish or damage us or hurt us for playing Ohio State and losing, that's going to now hurt them or hurt the committee from, or hurting any other team from getting a big name program and scheduling them and instead going ahead and getting a, 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 just a D three school and getting a W there. What they're saying is, is we don't care about that second loss because we respect it and, and, and move forward. I, I think it actually will make football better if they get an AAC school, specifically Cincinnati. There, a lot of other schools are going to look at that and go, okay, well, look at UC. They went up to Columbus. They got their asses kicked, but the committee respected them enough to still put them in. Even after that loss, that didn't affect it. So I, I think it's just more of a, it's more of a respect for the AAC in general. Um, and I, I, it's, it's playoff time, you know, and I'm not saying it's playoffs like college football playoffs, but it is literally whoever wins this game is going to the cotton ball. There is no, Doubt in my mind. Whoever wins this game is going to the Cotton Bowl, and I love it. I think that's so brilliant of the college football playoffs to go, hey, guys, you guys want to watch an exciting game? Watch these two teams battle out for the Cotton Bowl. Let's go. Yeah, i got to be honest. I've really – I'm such a child. I've enjoyed fighting with the Boise State fans. At this point, though, it is what it is. If Cincinnati wins, it's going to happen. And yeah. I, I don't think there's any – I mean, there's no argument to make at this point. I think the just – when I, so I was watching the show live because I was obviously very intrigued. And this was the most important ranking show of the year for Cincinnati. It never mattered before. They were always in full control of their destiny. And they came out with 20 through 25 and my jaw dropped. I didn't see Cincinnati and I, or 21 through 25. And I'm thinking like, wow, that's it. Like this is, you know, it's over. They, they dropped us that far. Then they show Cincinnati 20 right behind boys and they're like, all right, it's over. I mean, this is it. it it's you win and you're in. They wouldn't have kept Cincinnati so close to Boise if they weren't gonna, mm-hmm. if they weren't prepared to jump them. I mean, a Cincinnati win mm-hmm. over Memphis is going to be a top twenty, top twenty-five win, and Boise doesn't have that. I think the big thing with Boise, Air Force was ranked in the AP poll. They weren't ranked in the in the playoff poll. Navy actually was. Um, so I think that you know that was a big deal. And yeah, I just I mean, look. The, you mentioned the Ohio State thing. It's hard to reward a team for a loss, but I just, I have a hard time penalizing Cincinnati. Both Cincinnati and Boise played a terrible P5 team and beat them both. But if Cincinnati played Portland State, like Boise State did, they would have won and they'd be 11 and 1 right now and this wouldn't be a conversation. If they played, there's 130 teams in, in FBS. Cincinnati played 100 different teams instead of Ohio State, they'd be 11 and 1. I mean, yep. You, you can't base this off of hypotheticals, but you really you have to take that into consideration. They 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 did it, and well, uh, look at the same look at the same opponent that Boise State and Cincinnati had, which is Marshall. Boise State yeah. struggled against Marshall, and 
UC blew them out. I mean, I'm not saying that it's the same sort of thing. Games are different on different weeks. But, I mean, come on. It's not the same. Cincinnati clearly has beaten better opponents than Boise. Absolutely. And I'll say and two things. The whole system is corrupt. The whole system is a joke. Yes. Regardless of what happens this weekend, if Boise State goes 12-1, and one, regardless of how we feel about their resume and their good wins, they deserve a, a big honor. They deserve, like, some recognition and a big bowl. They deserve better than the last Vegas bowl against the 6-6 six and six Washington State team. I mean, that's – I hate that for them. I honestly do. I, I'm not saying they deserve the Cotton Bowl, but I, I wish they could play, like, a, a real – P5 team in a real bowl game to prove themselves. Same thing with Appalachian State. If they win on Saturday and they go 12-1, and they're going to play in the New Orleans Bowl against like the number two or three team from Conference USA. That's not a reward. I mean, that's that's not that exciting. To, I want to see App State play another P5 team. I, it, it's a shame at how these bowl games all shake out. And if Cincinnati does lose, I, I, I'll – be able to live with myself I'll, I'll be okay because memphis i think memphis is a great team mm-hmm. um i don't hate them i don't have any like anger or you know bad negativity towards them i really think they're an outstanding team and i think if they got to the cotton ball and they played a team like florida or utah or baylor i think they will give them a run for their money because they have a ton of speed on offense and they have a defense that can hang around so i I would certainly root for Memphis. I hope they would win. I hope it doesn't come down to that. Um, Because I definitely want payback against Florida for what happened 10 years ago. Wouldn't this be the perfect full circle story 10 years later? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, like I said, I think it comes down to either Cincinnati or Memphis. And, gosh, do I want to win? I've seen everything from Wisconsin now to, God, there's a lot of teams that could be in the Cotton Bowl. And, um if the team plays the way they played last Saturday, they have the capability of beating anybody in the country other than obviously some of the top tiers. But I, I, I want to see it and I'm looking forward to it. And I think it's going to be, uh, I am, I'm almost, and then it's terrible, but I'm, I'm going in. I'm saying this is a dub. I mean, I really do. What are you, what are your final results or thoughts on the game? What do you think is going to happen Saturday? Give me your kind of final predictions. I think Ritter is going to win this game. I, I think his legs, and I think he's going to make the right throws with his arm. I think he's going to come out there healthy, and yeah, I just I have I have faith in Ritter. I have faith in this coaching staff. I don't have faith in Mike Denbrock, unfortunately, but I do think <laughs> that they'll overcome that one barrier. I think the offensive line will play better. I love the way that this team has made adjustments on the fly throughout the season, specifically defensively. Offensively, not as much, but the fact that they've had a week to make adjustments. And respect to Memphis, too. I know that they have a great coaching staff. My hope is that their head coach is a little bit distracted thinking about Tallahassee or Arkansas or someplace else that's not Memphis. Um, but I really think that Cincinnati is going to win this game. I think they could win by a touchdown, if not a little bit more. I think Ritter's going to play the best he's played all year. I think you're going to see a very healthy dose of Warren and Dokes. And I think the defense is just going to play lights out. You're going to see a number of sacks, Wright, Young, Ponder, Brooks, all these guys in that front seven. And give me another Ahmad Gardner. Or, you know what, Ahmad Gardner got the interception last week. This will be another Javon Hicks interception. I like it. I got the Bearcats by a touchdown. It'll be interesting because the second half, I know, is going to really 
stress a lot of people out because in the second half you're going to have to be flipping back and forth. You're going to have to find the second um, second TV because our annual Xavier game is going to be at the same time as the, the second half at 5 o'clock on FS1, I think. I, I hate the Big East. I, I really do. Why do they have to put this game at 5 and why does it have to be on FS1 of all? Channels. I know you have really strong feelings about the this, these two games overlapping. I do. So, folks, Saturday is a big day for old Scotty Whitehouse. I find out also on Saturday whether I'm having a boy or a girl for my gender reveal party. I mean, that's the third it. biggest event. No <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what, Bearcats baby announcement is the third biggest event. Yeah, no. I told my <laughs> wife, I said, honey, like, uh, we're going to have to find out, like, the party starts at one. I was like, uh, the, the reveal is going to be like right at one, right? I was like, starting 3.30, I'm, <laughs> I'm gone. Like, I'm out of commission. So uh, is your wife on board with naming this child after the hero on Saturday, whether the hero oh, is sure, yeah, or yeah, Michael yeah. or Ahmad yeah. or Jaren or Jaren or, or Micah, Mike Adams Woods. <laughs> yeah. All of them. Yes. Ah, uh, no, she's on board. We've already that. <laughs> if it's a boy, if it's a girl, she's, I don't know. We've already got one boy, so we'll never know. We don't know. But, uh, yeah, as far as putting it together, you know, it, it, it comes down to, and this is, and you and I talked about this a long time ago. I think on our very first podcast, we talked about we are, as much as we love football, we're college basketball guys. And it is a little bit, I hate that they decided to put this on championship Saturday for all teams. Cause even, even in Ohio, I think at five o'clock or six o'clock is, or seven o'clock, maybe even eight. I don't even know is the Ohio State game for Big Ten. It's like, dang, like, you can't make it any other. Next Saturday is perfect. There's nothing going on. Like, make it next Saturday. So I hate the fact that they have it on the same time. Basically, these games are going to end so close to each other. Um, it's going to be tough. Um, I wouldn't be lying. And please... Please, Bearcat fans, I gotta be real with you. I've, I'm, I've decided weeks ago I'm gonna be real with you. I, <laughs> Mike, don't kill me. I'd give up a Memphis loss to, to beat Savior. Let's just say that. I, I, God, I want to beat Savior so bad on Saturday. Oh that's, my God. See, that's really interesting. And I think we did talk about this before. I, to me, the football game is more meaningful. I know. I, I know. So, no, but just, because there's obviously there's everything is on the line for the football team, but I don't live in Cincinnati. I, live I didn't in grow Cincinnati. up in Cincinnati, so I'm I grew up in Cincinnati. A Bearcat fan. I'm a transplant Bearcat fan in a way, so I don't have to go to work on Monday morning and listen to, oh, for lack of a better word, those idiots. I don't have to listen to anybody talk about the game. I, I can just block and mute people on Twitter. I don't have. I didn't grow up with friends like. You know, I, I don't hear it like you do. And like probably 99% of the people listening to this do. So. And that's what it comes down to. If Cincinnati loses to Memphis, we won't hear about it. We'll just be mad against ourselves. If Cincinnati right. loses to Xavier, we hear about it through every avenue. I mean, every avenue. One of my best friends, guy in my wedding, his name is Eric Thompson. Any Xavier fans listening out there, you know him. He was, Two, three, or maybe four or five years ago, he was literally voted mayor of Xavier. He's one of the biggest Xavier fans of all time. He's like ticket sales guy. Uh, you know, I'm, 
He's in a wheelchair. He's very famous. Like, you know him. Xavier fan in a wheelchair, you know that's a, it's Eric. He texts me every time damn near you see Mrs. Layup. He's letting me know about it. So if we lose to Xavier, it's so much worse than, than anything else. So let's, let's flip. I know we've talked a lot about football. God, I want to win in football. Don't, don't, do not kid yourself. I'm not saying I don't want to win. I'd love for two victories. So let's talk about basketball now. What are your thoughts so far on the team? What we have moving forward? Yeah. <laughs> Is that, yeah. I mean, that's not a word, but eh, that's my thoughts. I mean, it's, you know, it's been a rough start. I, I think I'm a little bit surprised. I'm surprised at how poorly they have played at times. Uh, it was really, really exciting. Well, I was away, so I didn't watch the UNLV game on TV. I watched it on my phone. So I really enjoyed watching Vermont on TV, not on a stupid stream, uh, not yeah. on my phone. So that was exciting. I thought they played a great game against Vermont. It was the most complete game that they've really played all year, and they did it without Jaron, obviously, in the second half. You know, my thoughts on the team is that the Paradise Jam was a huge struggle. Uh, every aspect of it was god-awful. The the injuries, the blown leads, the turnovers, the free throws, everything about it was bad. They came out of it 2-1. and one. They got the win against UNLV, and they got the win against Vermont. My hope is that they come together and they learn from that experience. Uh, whether they do or not, we're going to find out this month because we know that December is just a gauntlet of a schedule. And if they can survive this month and go five, uh, f- play 500 ball in December, that's great. I'll, I'll feel good about the team's chances in March. But this is the month that could break them, especially after the stretch that they just had. The biggest thing is, you know, I, I'm guilty of continually pointing to all these newcomers and the new coaching staff and the new system. The problem is, those aren't the issues. The issues are like just literal basic basketball fundamentals. I mean, John Brandon has nothing to do with missed free throws. He has nothing to do with these turnovers. And mm, I will argue say? with that. I'll argue with that, but keep going. Okay. No, go, please. Argue with that. Eight new players. The players you do return are come from a Mick program that is used to absolutely slowing down the pace of the of play of developing ISO looks and developing, you know, three or four passes and go. So you've got new players, plus you've also got the players who are returning into a new system. And all of those players, whether they're new and they're not in as fast of a system, a lot of freshmen, or the players from the MIC who likes to throw it down or likes to slow it down, all going into a super fast system. What does that equate to? A lot more passes, a lot more turnovers. So the turnovers are understandable. I'm not upset with the turnovers. They are going to happen, and they are going to decrease. It is just a matter of fact. I will put whatever money you want that whatever we've seen as far as the first seven games or eight games we've seen in the season, I don't know, whatever it is, compared to the back end of the season, our turnover ratio is going to be crazy lower than these first because we're going to understand the game. So I will say that the free throws, come on. You are a basketball player in division one. You're supposed to play basketball pretty much all day. Go to school, play basketball, go to school, play basketball. You tell me you can't spend an hour just to shoot free throws and figure out your stroke. I mean, I can go to the gym. I know I'm pretty good at free throws, like on average. And I'm not trying to be boastful here. I make nine, eight to nine free throws out of 10 every time. Like I always compete. Hey, Let's do a free throw shooting contest. I win every time. It's not that hard. Just make free throws. And I'm five foot eight and I 
didn't play high school ball. So come on, make I free was, throws. I, know, I was pretty awful free throw shooter, but um, my dad, uh, he like trains kids playing basketball, and he was a star basketball player for, or still is a star basketball player at sixty years old. He used to have a rule <laughs> with me in the gym: I can't leave until I hit five free throws in a row. I don't know. Where I That's it. Five, it's easy. Like just hit five in a row, yep. and then you can go home. And uh, sometimes it took me a while, but you got to hit five in a row, and you always have to hit your last shot. <laughs> Why don't they just do that? I mean, why don't they just lock themselves in the gym? Everybody hits five free throws, and then you go home. Um, but just me overall about like you know how I feel about this team. They are six and two. Obviously, the the Bowling Green loss was terrible, but I don't think that's going to cripple them. I think at the end of the day, it'll be a Q two, Q three loss. They had a Q four loss last year when they lost to ECU. Uh, you just you got to learn from it. You got to learn from the Paradise Jam, and you got to learn from all these mistakes. I don't feel great though about Saturday. Um, I mean, how do you feel about? I haven't watched a ton of Xavier. I did watch them earlier against Green Bay. I don't have a good feeling about this stuff. Can't shoot. Xavier cannot shoot, and that's where oh, we're going to win gonna, this that's game. Gonna, oh, that's going to change on Saturday. Oh no, 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 they'll hit. They'll hit on that. They'll hit 15 from 20 from beyond the arc and just stroke it. Of course. Of course. And of I think course. they shot 23% today from three. They're going to hit, yeah, 15 of 20 sounds reasonable. They, they're going to shoot the lights out. They'll shoot lights out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, but Xavier can't shoot. They have, no, they have their struggle on offense. This game, I will be shocked if it gets over 65 points from either team. Shocked. Neither team, this is going to be a body bag, uh, ice, Ice bath game. Um, I think that Cincinnati, before the Vermont game, and this is with such a huge asterisk or such a huge caveat, before the Vermont game, I thought UC would never have a chance. After the game, I think we got a shot. And it comes down to one real aspect. Can I guess? It's, sure. Jaron Cumberland's health and his performance. Uh, No. Because that's my key, but what, what, sorry, what's yours? Shooting from other players other than Jaron. Jaron will <laughs> be there. So Jaron will be there if, if he's healthy, but we can't win without Jaron. So that is a absolute, that's not even just a factor. If he's not in, we're done. So that's just, so you're right. I'm not saying you're wrong. You're right, but I wouldn't even consider that. But if Javen or Javin or Keith and even Trey, uh, heck, even Mike Adams Woods, who's been hitting some threes. If we are on shooting, we've got a chance. As I've said, I cannot continue to not beat this down into the ground. Every single game, this team has wide open threes. Or they have wide open jumpers, or they have wide open layups. Doesn't matter. They, this offense is clicking. And that's what a lot of people are. Oh man, we're having a lot of turn. If you watch the game, we have so many freaking open shots. The problem is we have no shooters. So we're finally starting to make shots. As it, as the, the Bowling Green campaign comes into play, Chris McNeil had six or seven miss finishes at the rim. Just six or seven. That equates to 12 to 15 points just right there because you, you, you count some and ones. Right there at the rim, and he can't finish. So if we can finish, we can make some shots, we got a chance. Keith Williams is finally hitting some threes. Javin's finally making some shots. Micah Adams-Woods is coming into play. My only thought with Micah and, and Harvey and all the other freshmen is 
typically in this type of game, freshmen just don't they don't step up. It's too big of a uh, of a a stage for them, and I get it. And I'm never gonna if if Adams Woods or Harvey or any of the freshmen come out and they just they struggle Davenport, they they don't do well. I'm not gonna fault them for that. Um, I will say this: the one other factor that a lot of people aren't considering is size. We absolutely not by by weight or body, but by height. Chris Vogt can absolutely dominate. Chris Vogt has to dominate underneath. I don't really see um, uh, whatever uh, there are two players, and I can't think of Xavier's right now. I'm completely drawing a blank, but they're two big guys down low. Uh, I don't, I don't see them really stopping us or stopping Vogt. Vogt's got to continue to see his vector, but. It comes down to shooting, man. If we can shoot the ball, uh, Marshall is not – Najee Marshall is the guy I was thinking of, and then uh, Tyreek Jones. If we can if, – if if Vogue can contain those two and then our jump shooting's fine, I think we got a real good shot. But I'm telling you, this game is not going to be a high-scoring game. It's going to be an ugly, gross game, a lot of, lot of bodies on the floor. I'm talking – 62 to 55 is the final. And I don't know who's winning it, but it's going to be something like that. One of my biggest concerns, you kind of called it out. You mentioned this isn't really a game for freshmen. This isn't a game for a guy like Adams Woods to find himself. Mm-mm. Bearcats depth is absolutely non-existent right now. So, J- so Javin will come off the bench. He'll probably replace McNeil or Williams at some point or vote. And they don't have anybody else besides him. I don't know. Trevor Moore is not having a good season. I don't no. know what his status is for Saturday. I know he missed Tuesday due to a, a family funeral, which is really unfortunate. So I don't know if he'll be back. I don't know if it matters. Mamadou Diara is oh, – I, I don't want Mama to Mamadou don't know what to do. For lack of a better word, he's, he's bad. I, I don't I don't want to harp on him, but he's not good. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they're going to – Harvey, Davenport, I mean, these guys are going to have to play by default. I, that's one of my concerns. Is I think we're just going to run out of gas. And Jaron's already playing with a million injuries. Yeah. But then I do agree that it's going to come down to the secondary players. I mean, this Cincinnati will win if this is known as the Keith Williams game. If Keith Williams oh, can yeah. put up yep. you know, yep. like 15 to 20 points, get a bunch of rebounds, if this is the Keith Williams game, Cincinnati can win. For sure. Which he the, has shown he is able to do, and that's why I say we got a good shot. That's what I'm saying. This isn't an absolute loss. Like, uh, I, if you would ask me before the Vermont game, are we going to win this game? No. But what I've seen from Keith, what I've seen from Javen, what I've seen from Trey, who's been playing a lot better, and Chris, got a shot. No, no I mean, Xavier, I know they started the year ranked. They lost last week to Florida. They beat UConn. You know, they haven't. Exactly, lit the world on fire in their mm-hmm. games. Uh, they did look good today against Green Bay, and they crushed Lipscomb over the weekend also. But like, they struggled against Missouri State. They struggled against Missouri. They're not dominating opponents. So, And this is a team, they returned their nucleus. You mentioned um, Marshall and Jones, and, and Paul Scruggs is one of their top guys. They returned all these guys from last year's team. The problem is last year's team wasn't good. They went... 19 and 16, and they missed a tournament for the first time since they've been in the Big East. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's the progression and the growth of these guys. But, you know, I, I'd like to trust our guys that William Scott and Cumberland have all been in this game, and they all won it last year, and they know what it takes to win it. Yeah, I mean, I I really like it. I 
I think that Jaron's going to be, it's his senior year, he's going to try to get the dub, but UC hasn't had back-to-back wins, and well, since Jaron's been there, but for a long, long time. Um, and I, I, I think that, I don't know, I just, I really like, I really like this team, and, and I think that, again, the point of the other big factor is vote. We keep, you know, vote as I said, you asked me a long time ago at the beginning of the season, you know, who's your standout player? It's going to be vote. He is such a dominant force, and he's continued to be. And if you think about it, and I know the not to kind of harp on another podcast, but since he's slaying in podcast for for basketball, they ask you know, who's the first, who's the MVP so far. It's got to be vote. His size is ridiculous. I mean, think about them. He honestly, it was him and Jaron. If you watch the Vermont game, it was really those two. That stopped Anthony Lamb. Anthony Lamb is touted to be an NBA prospect, an NBA guy. He was on some of these other, you know, players of the years. He was, I've seen him voted as high as 10th overall as far as all players in the entire Division One, uh, you know, universe. And we held him till what, like 20, you know, 15 point game, you know, 15 games, or I think it was, I don't even know if it's less than that, eight point game, whatever it was. And it was all Jaron. It was all vote. Vote had a huge, huge assignment to stop Lamb, and he did. I, I, I love him from. I love him stopping uh, Marshall, and I love him stopping. Um, I, I love him stopping everything. Jones, you know, it's, Paul Scruggs can't score. Gooden can't score. Nobody can score from Xavier. I mean, that team sucks. I hate Xavier. Sorry, I had to go on a little vote there. I just can't yeah. stand Xavier. <laughs> no, Vote is not a guy that I expected to have the impact that he's had. So I'm, he's been by far, all things considered, the most impressive player to me for the Bearcats this season. Just, just, mm-hmm. you know, when you yes. think about, ex- I mean, just relative to expectation, I, he hasn't been the best, but just relative to expectations, I think people found out that he was eligible this year. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, he's, he's the big guy that has familiarity with Brandon. He could be like a good voice in the locker room. He's not going to, He's been awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I'm looking this up now. So Cumberland and Scott are both two and one against Xavier, looking to close out their career. I, I'm trying to find the last player or players to have a winning record. The last time they won three out of four was between 1992 and 1996, but it doesn't look like there were any there were any seniors on that team. So there was a run. In like the early nineties was really the last time that Cincinnati was winning uh, three out of four years. So it's been a long time. None of, yeah, in the last 20 years, really nobody has a winning record from Cincinnati. That's true. And and I'm just going to say it. Screw it. This is a Cincinnati podcast. I'm not going to be polite about Xavier. Let's talk about Louisville for a second. Chris Mack has that team humming. I am hoping and praying that in three or four years, we look back at Xavier and say, oh, Xavier as the program wasn't as good. It was Chris Mack that was very good because he has gone down to Louisville and completely flipped that around and looks great. So you sound surprised. Are you surprised uh, by that? I'm surprised that he's turned it around so fast. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and I now I don't know if I always I when he was at Xavier I always thought it was a Xavier program thing not a Chris Mack thing and now I'm starting to flip and go ah maybe it's a Chris Mack thing. What about you? 
See, I thought it was a Chris Mack thing and Xavier because their teams were so good, but they weren't always like the most talented in the country. I mean, a couple of years ago, they, they got yeah. the, the one or the two seed. One team, seed, yeah. You know, that team was very good, but they weren't great. They weren't special. I, I thought it was coaching. Um, yeah, obviously, right. Like, I didn't think they would be as good as they were last year in his first year, but yeah, they're impressive. I, I'm not sold on Travis Steele from what I've watched from Xavier. Obviously, last year was a disappointment, and from what I've seen this year, we'll see how good of a coach he is. This feels like the beginning of a new era uh, in this rivalry. Um, obviously, the fans have this hatred, and the players, and you know, Xavier fans all hate Cumberland, but I feel like a lot of the animosity the last few years has been directed towards Mick. I, I know mm-hmm. every single Xavier fan absolutely despised him. Loved mocking him. The players say that whatever happened two years ago with JP McCurra and Mick, I, I'm not, I'm never going to side with Xavier, but I don't, I, I didn't love what Mick was doing and saying supposedly. Um, but yeah, I just, I feel like it's like a fresh start. Like Xavier fans don't hate John Brandon because there's no reason to yet. They'll, they'll hate him after Saturday, but yeah, like, but I don't, like I don't hate Travis Steele. He, he's never done anything for me. He's never beaten us. He's always won against Cincinnati. And he's going to remain winless against Cincinnati. So, I don't know. I feel like it's the beginning of a new start, uh, like a new era, especially next year since as Brandon brings in his guys. Yeah, no, I like that. I think it's going to be a unique kind of, of refreshing vibe. You did have that Mick-Mac rivalry that is gone now, and – you could even tell, like, even after the game last year, Mick, like, if you watch that handshake, Mick was almost, like, shaking t- Travis's hand. It's like, hey, man, sorry, welcome to the big show. Like, you're done. Like, he almost, like, had it. Now it's gone. I will say that. And I think, you know, John and his squad, they've never gone into an environment yet. Even at in the Horizon League, I'm sorry, but they have not gone to any sort of hostile environment like Centos. And I'm going to give Centos a lot of credit. It is a, it's tough to go in there. I've been to a lot of Centos games, unfortunately. I'm always rooting for the other teams. But it's tough. And I think they're going to have a rude awakening. But I think the, what I keep telling Xavier fans is this. Hey, hey, hey fans, if you're listening. You can't, you cannot lose to Cincinnati. I mean, come on. We're a new system, new program. We're struggling. We lost to Bowling Green. You can't have us come into Centos <laughs> and beat you. Oh my God. How embarrassing would that be if that happened? So I think Cincinnati has everything to win and Xavier has everything to lose. Like they are, it is, it, that's all it is. And that's what I like about UC is I don't expect it. Honestly, if you put my head, gun ahead, do I think UC is going to win? No. But do I think that there's so much more pressure on Xavier? Absolutely. And I love it. Love oh, it. Absolutely. I mean, their, their whole core from last year, like we said, is returning. And Cincinnati is kind of a team in flux. So a lot of yep. struggles and, you know, some early season issues. So if Cincinnati loses, you kind of just chalk it up to, all right, they're going through some growing pains right now and some issues. And, and Xavier played at home. I mean, it is what it is. Cincinnati wins. That's something that can, it's something that could make Cincinnati season. You kind of, you beat Xavier, you come back from that and it's like, all right, guys, we're a pretty good team. Like, let's come together and let's do this thing and let's get to March. If you're Xavier mm-hmm. and you lose, like, 
oh shit, like we just lost with two and they lost the bowling green. Like, <laughs> that, I mean, that could unravel a team. You mentioned, um, John Brandon though, he's never experienced anything like this. No, he's never experienced anything like Cincinnati Xavier, but he did play in Cintas back, or coach in Cintas back in November 2015. His NKU team lost by 12. Uh, they, they shot like nine of 22 from three. They missed almost all their free throws and they committed a whole bunch of turnovers. So it sounds about on par with our team this year. And Javin and Chris McNeil also have experience playing at Xavier. Uh, McNeil with Western Kentucky and Javin with Oakland last year. So these guys have at least played in Centos. They've at least played against Xavier. I know it's not the same, but you know, they are coming into this with a little bit of experience. And I, I trust that Cumberland and Scott are kind of talking these guys up and explaining to them the rivalry and probably talking up to Brandon also. I know he was talking about this in his opening presser, but I don't think he needs to be the rivalry explained to him, obviously. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm sure him and Cumberland have had a couple of conversations this week about it, or I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. Yeah, yeah. I know that uh, the teams, um, per my source, has had some compliance meetings, and they're going to have some like, hey, what to expect meetings and stuff like that. And I told my source, hey, that ain't happening at Fifth Third because we're good, respectful people. So, I mean, it's just the way Centos is. It's just We're good, respectful people. Why don't you tell that to, uh, to Holiday, who, to Holloway, <laughs> who flipped me off once. It wasn't oh, that doesn't Xavier. shock me at all. It doesn't shock me at all. It wasn't Xavier game. He was just yeah. there. He must have known someone from high school. I forgot what, what game it was. He must have just known someone. Had a friend on the other team. was sitting behind their bench. Walked by the student section. I don't think we said anything bad. I mean, we just said, like, you know, hey, two, what's up? And. Not a right way, and and he flipped that, and he flipped us off. So yeah. yeah, I mean, you would never see a Cincinnati player flip a flip this oh, no. student section off. I will say this, and this is I've always I've always, you know uh, one of my best buds is a big Butler guy, and his mom was wearing a Butler sweatshirt, and they Butler Xavier was playing. This was like three or four years ago, and just random fans went up to this random woman who's fifty plus years old, just start calling her B I T C H. It's like, that's great. Like, way to be classy, Xavier. There you go. That's awesome. Call a random old woman, not old, but random mother, you know, that. Like, that's just, out of nowhere, that's Cintas for you, baby. Amazing. And the one regret, I've been to, I actually went to Cintas for a women's game for Cincy Xavier. My one regret is I never went to to this game at Cintas. Or not yet. Um, yeah. I still hope to at some point. But, yeah, that's one of my biggest regrets is I've never been to Centos for this game. I kind of don't know if I want to. I, it, it, I feel like it takes a lot out of you as a fan. Um, probably takes a lot out of you just to not want to, like, fight back and yell back. The rumor was, the rumor was, at a, at, during the brawl, the famous brawl of 2012, whatever that was, there was a priest that was punching a Cincinnati fan. I heard that's that. all I, that's all I'm saying. And I'm a Catholic guy. I'm Catholic. There was a Jesuit priest punching a fan. That's all I know. And he was wearing a big X on his chest. So there you go. I'll never forget that day. Xavier hate week, baby. Yeah, I was actually watching (laughs) at the tail end of that game. My mom walked into the room uh, and she's like, oh, wow, they're getting crushed. And then I was like, I was prepared to get up and walk away from the couch. And I just hear her scream. And I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I look up and oh, my God, there's a huge fight. <laughs> uh, and she was like, "Oh, there's no way Cincinnati started that. I know you went to a nice school. It had to be Xavier." 
she was fully on board with the fact that Xavier instigated all of this and it was all their fault. And you know what? Cincinnati used that to propel themselves to the Sweet 16. So absolutely, and I'll I'm say, not advocating, I'm not yeah. advocating fighting, but if it means going to the Sweet 16, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. And I and this is the final thing I'll say. And this is not a uh, 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 oh, I love Mick. He's such a great guy. But I will say this: go back and watch the interviews, the post game interviews from Chris Mack to Holloway, and then of uh, Mick Cronin, and watch the difference between the Xavier fans, which is like, "Yo, zip them up!" Like that's how we do. We like and Mack talking about taking uniforms off the players and that doesn't respect that doesn't represent the university and and that he might get fired it was such a different mentality of xavier going yeah yeah that's the way we are and cincinnati going we might lose our jobs because this is not the way we are that's all i'm saying folks go back yeah, and watch it it is so true yeah and no it, it is and i think i mean mick and cincinnati got a ton of national praise they might have started it, but they got a ton of national praise for the way. Ah, they, uh, they didn't start After, it. They, they got a ton it. of. Jerry Lyle started that. They, <laughs> but they got a ton of praise for the way that they handled it after the fact. You could, right, like you said, like these guys were running around, like zip them up, like, you know, screw these guys. Nancy Gates was legitimately remorseful. Um, mm-hmm. I genuinely, I never got to talk to Nancy personally, but I genuinely believe that he hated that that happened. Um, mm-hmm. That obviously he wishes it didn't, and yeah, the way that Mick spoke and the way that Mick handled it afterwards, and hey, they went to the Sweet Sixteen. So, like I guess I'm not advocating fighting, but I, I do want to go to the Sweet Sixteen. So, and the final um, thing I'll say is that if our team plays the way it did in the first half of Vermont, we're going to the Sweet Sixteen this year, baby. I love the chances of us making it and doing well, and I love the chances of us beating Xavier. I've got us beating Xavier. I do. I got us winning both. I got us winning both games on Saturday. And yes. I, know I know you're a big numbers guy. You're always sweeten the stuff. I mean, Ken Palm has Vermont number 88 going into Tuesday night. So, again, that's not a pushover team by any means. They, they lost um, to Virginia by six. That was a really strong and impressive performance, mm-hmm. at least for, for 30, 35 minutes it was. Uh, yeah, if they play like that against – Xavier, they will win. If Cincinnati, if the football team does what they need to do and they protect the ball, they limit the stupid penalties and they, they lock down on defense, they can win a championship. Saturday has a chance to be the greatest day in Cincinnati Bearcats athletics history if they can get both of these wins. And can you imagine? I don't know, maybe that's hyperbole. I don't know off the top of my head a better day. Obviously, the Pittsburgh day was great, but if they can get both of these wins in one day, win a championship and beat your hated rival, I don't see how you can do better than that. Absolutely not, folks. Get on Twitter. Make sure you see if Bearcats, obviously, when they win football, we're celebrating. When they beat Xavier, they're celebrating. Whether I have a boy or a girl, we're celebrating. It's going to be an all Bearcats day, baby, on Saturday. I cannot wait. Let's go, Bearcats. Beat Xavier. Beat Memphis. Thank you all for listening.